0: Case. Hope Not Hate are basically controlling Britain. Hope Not Hate, an alluring name for those more concerned about social justice than truth. These backwards, these backward thinking, virtue virtue signaling, fake news, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hope Not Hate podcast. It's 20 years since David Copeland set off nail bombs in Brixton, Brick Lane and in Soho. I'm joined by Nick Lowell's, our CEO, uh, who uh, was there at the time. Uh, And was involved in catching uh, uh, David Copeland and bringing him to justice and wrote the book on it it. So as it's the 20th anniversary, I wanted to sit down and and chat through uh, what happened at that time It feels like a long time, it is a long time since then But also what are the lessons that we can learn about policing the radical far-right And uh, especially uh, under the threat of growing uh, far-right violence So Nick, thanks for, for joining us Thank you. Uh, 20 years is a long time for, for anybody, but I think some people listening to this uh, won't remember uh, the attacks at all. I was only in my late teens, early 20s uh, around that time, and I remember the shock and, and horror. Uh, but it was a news programme uh, uh, then, and uh, you know I, I think a lot of people have maybe lost some of the details. So just talk us through what what happened there were there were three uh bomb attacks but give us some of the details of, of what transpired
1: sure so i mean this this was in uh, april 1999 um david copeland set off three bombs one brixton market um on a saturday and that was him attacking uh the African caribbean community um, then he went to brick lane the following weekend uh, which is obviously um, a big kind of muslim population around there and then the the following following weekend well actually on on the friday he he then bombed um a gay bar in in Soho i think uh, the first reaction was shock obviously no one knew who did who was who was behind at the beginning um I think panic set in after the second bombing because it was clearly he was someone who was targeting london's um um um, minority communities, and I think you know the diversity in London people started to feel scared who was going to be next um the first bomb he 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 went to brixton um he was actually surprised that there were white people there you know he, even though he worked in London had been living in london um he hadn't realized that actually. London was a kind of um, a multiracial city, and he he went he went to plant a bomb, which was a um, a nail bomb in a holdall. Uh, Thirteen people got injured, and I think the one of the most horrific memories of that was of um, a little baby with nails um, in in the baby's head. Um, luckily the the baby survived but I mean it was just a horrific the kind of x-ray pictures Mm. Um, the following weekend he obviously targeted the Muslim community in East London Um, again there were slightly kind of four lines about it he hadn't realised that the market was on the Sunday rather than the Saturday so he travelled up from Hampshire where he was living at at the time um, realised that the market wasn't on panicked and instead of um disarming his bomb he just dropped it on the side of the road uh, on the on the side street up brick lane um where 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 the bag was stolen um, someone went off with the bag and then looked in it someone pinched the bag someone pinched pinched the bag looked in it um and then took it to a police station which which was shut and then the bomb went off outside the police station um and um obviously people got injured but 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 no one was killed on the 29th of um, april so kind of six days later um the police issued cctv footages of him uh, police had no no idea who he was there was some footage of him kind of exiting a, a train station or uh railway station and um ...he kind of knew that his time was probably up... ...so he brought forward his third attack... ...which was the a gay bar in Soho... ...um... ...24 hours... ...um... ...and that was the most deadly of the bombs... ...so three people got killed... ...in that... ...uh... ...79 got injured... ...and four people had to have their... ...had limbs amputated... ...um... ...and he got caught... ...the following day... ...um... ...well... ...sorry... ...he got caught two days later... ...um... So, I mean, I think that so there was panic, there was nervousness um, there were there were claims of of responsibility from far right activists. Uh, there was a group called the White Walls that started sending letters um, uh, people's uh, property was getting attacked, so there, there was a climate of fear, and there was you know the police largely were kind of fa- fairly clueless really, and it was it was members of the public who were able to Um, Identify him.
0: So, how quickly after the the first bomb attack did people realise this was a far right uh, uh, campaign? I mean, obviously, straight away
1: people suspected it. Um, You know, Brixton is kind of iconic, is in terms of you know a multicultural area of London. Um, but obviously with one bomb you, you, it's impossible to say for kind of certainty so of course the panic of where next and i think i think and also it was the random randomness of it is in the sense of communities in london felt they could be next and certainly by the time of the second bomb you know there there was a pattern and it became a kind of race race to catch in. um it I mean, in those days... I mean, this... You know, the other thing to, to, to point out, that this this was totally new, you know. I mean, even in terms of Islamist attacks weren't happening in those days. Uh, there hadn't been that sort of kind of far-right terrorist attack, uh, certainly with bombs before. So, obviously, the police response was probably quite old-fashioned. There wasn't the kind of community outreach that we're now kind of used to from the police, the, you know, uh, uh, reassuring communities... Um, and the communities themselves. I mean, you know, there's still a lot to be done now, but you know, there is a process. When bombs happen now, community defence kicks in. People, you know, are, are alert to things in a way that they 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 kind of weren't weren't alert to there. So you know, it was also just just the shock of it. And you know, we hadn't had bombs in London for several years since since the, the, the IRA the, were on ceasefire yeah, that. Point. Yeah,
0: and and the the bombs were were set off without warning. Right. Yeah. I mean, the IRA. Uh, for all the crimes they committed Tried to issue warnings Tried to avoid loss of life He was deliberately going out to cause loss of life uh,
1: Absolutely And you know He he tested out the bombs I mean you know One of the things about David Copeland in You know on one hand He was a kind of You know he 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 couldn't even change the tire of his bike he couldn't change the fuse and yet he was so convinced about what he was doing he 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 built bombs he went to an internet cafe downloaded downloaded the uh, the anarchist cookbook and basically just followed 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 the the instructions you know he armed his bombs. Back home in 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 Hampshire, and came on the train with kind of a live bombs, you know, with the whole intention of dropping it to cause as much damage, you know. And I and I think when when he was interviewed by police, um, some of his mindset why he was doing it became became very obvious. So, you know, he was a man who joined the BNP in 1997, got was active in East London. He'd, he lived in Newham at the time, um, was a regular out with the BNP with John Tyndall. Um, but obviously, by being in the BNP in the 1990s, it was a period where Combat 18 was quite dominant, and the ideology of race war was was really really dominant at, at, at the time, which had come into Britain in about 1990 91 from the US, and this this was the idea that you you are at war with the state, that the state was the enemy, that you stir up racial trouble in order to get a reaction to start to start. Um, the race war um his favorite book was the turner diaries now the turner diaries was written by a man called william pierce who was a neo-nazi leader in in the u.s that book also inspired timphie mcveigh the oklahoma um, city bomber um which killed 169 people um you know, in Copeland's mind, he started reading this stuff, becoming more and more extreme. He joined, he, he dropped out of the BNP because he didn't want to get involved in elections. He was bored of that. He wanted to be more radical. He then got involved in a group called the uh, National Socialist Movement, which was an offshoot from Combat 18, became their kind of um, south, southern leader. Um, but again, you know, he found them boring and, and too mainstream. They They kind of talked about race war, but he wanted to carry it out. And so he obviously went, went to do this on his own and, and the, he, he gave this quote to the police and I think obviously this, this sums it up. He goes, if you read the Turner Diaries, you know that the year 2000, there'll be the uprising and all that. Racial violence on the streets. My aim was political. It was to cause a racial war in this country. There'd be a backlash from the ethnic minorities. Then all the white people will go out and vote BNP. So, in his mind, he set out to kill and injure as many people as
0: possible and he was i mean he, he had a political ideology and he had a he had a specific goal in mind, he was also like an incredibly disturbed individual he He kind of gloried in the in the in the carnage and the suffering he he was trying to inflict yeah and and you know
1: as was as has been shown many times in the past and continues to be shown now some of the people drawn towards this sort of level of violence are fan- are fascinated with violence itself and fascinated with with chaos and in his bedroom when 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 the police finally raided him and arrested him in his bedroom there were like cuttings of violence from all over the world bombings and disasters and everything you know he even put up pictures of of his own bombings from 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 the papers um so on one hand he was politically motivated he wanted to trigger a race war but also on a more personal level you know he obviously revelled in death and 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 and, uh, and destruction and what was interesting at the time you know he was the first person to carry out the first neo nazi to carry out bombings but there were other people who were similarly being um who were similarly trying to follow a more violent path. And, you know, two weeks before Copeland, there was um, a young man in um, Chichester, in Sussex, who was similarly, you know, had gone through the far right, been writing to people, had the same sorts of things on his wall. Um, and, you know, he didn't carry out a bomb, but what he did was throw a petrol bomb through um, a, 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 um, a local shopkeeper's window uh, with the intention of obviously... Killing the people inside, so you know. I mean, there was these were individuals, and they were motivated by things happening in their own lives. And I think if you look at Copeland, he was he was a a loner, disturbed person, quite isolated. He he felt his family thought he was gay. He'd never had a girlfriend when when he was a child. They used to watch the Flint, Flintstones and used to sing the song "Have a Gay Old Time." He was convinced that they were they were singing it at him, saying that he was gay um he was he was small um he didn't have any friends he joined the bmp and in a way became a superman you know the bullied becomes a bully and you know he, he he revels in that so on one hand there's a personal thing going on here but at the same time there was the political ideology that was winding him up that was getting more and more violent the rhetoric was all about war zog zionist occupation government um take on the state cause chaos get get a reaction and it's it's the combination of the two that was kind of quite a lethal mix
0: and you you said that the police um well they obviously weren't able to catch him and, and stop the the bombings until after the admiral duncan uh attack how did they catch him in the end you said that they had cctv pictures but were still struggling
1: yeah so so three people came forward to the police um now, at the time, he was working on the Jubilee extension line as an engineer. Um, so there was one of his workmates uh, rang up the police, said, I know who he is. Someone who lived lived near him rang up and said, I know who he is. The third call came from us via via somebody else, because and we were the only people to link him with far-right activism. The police had no had no record of this man before, even though he'd he'd been involved in the far right for three years, even though he'd been a kind of regional organizer of a group that had, was set out for kind of race war. Uh, the police had had never heard of his name, didn't know ha- didn't have any pictures of him. Um, it, maybe luckily, but we had someone inside the BNP at the time who knew him quite well and had been active with him. Um, as soon as he and and obviously they they lost contact when 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 he dropped out of the BNP. but as soon as uh as soon as his picture came came on the television he knew instantly who it was and um you know and <laughs> incredibly the person who provided us with the information didn't want any publicity around himself there was a 70 the police were off, offering 70,000 uh, pound for any information that, that led to the bloke's arrest and conviction um, he didn't want any of that money because he didn't want to come out publicly um, but he obviously did it again a bit like Robbie he did it for the right reasons um, but we, we were the, the only people who were to link him to far right activism so obviously those bits of information together because obviously lots of people were kind of ringing up at the time uh, but those kind
0: of bits of information together was obviously the kind of cru- crucial thing for the police it's fascinating listening to you having spent so much time this year on the the national action trial um and the the nazi murder plot um that was that was foiled through um uh, robbie uh, you mentioned just there it, it's fascinating having been so absorbed in that to hear you now talk about this case from 20 years ago where you could just swap a few words out and we're talking about the same the same case really I mean, I'm I'm interested in this from two different angles. Firstly, there's obviously still lessons to learn uh, in terms of combating uh, far-right violence. Um, So what are those lessons and and so on? But then there's also, why haven't the lessons been learned? Why are we watching effectively a a kind of a repeat, albeit one with a a better outcome uh, this time?
1: Sure. It's interesting. A few days ago, I was... um writing an article about the policing response to national action and also the Christchurch um, shootings. And, and, you know, in the sense of each time we have kind of far-right terrorism now, there's both in terms of the police and the government and the media, it's like, oh, we're now waking up to the far-right threat. Well, we've actually had far-right terrorism now for 20 years, and over 60 far-right activists or sympathisers have been arrested have been convicted of either terror terror offenses or terror related or similar extreme violence um so it isn't new and i think part of the problem is people haven't learned lesson um each each case is clearly different and people come to this for, for their own personal reasons but there are there are so many similarities and i think one of the striking things is that well a couple of striking things the police haven't been taking the threat of far right terrorism seriously you know david copeland should have been the wake up call for the previous eight years the whole rhetoric of the far right in britain had become about race war you know combat 18 and the national socialist alliance which was their umbrella group had more activists than 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 the BNP at the time. You know, I mean, you had literally hundreds and hundreds of people believing this idea about race war, terrorism, uh, violence. You had publications openly being circulated: the Black Mag, the Red Watch Hit, hit List, uh, the Order Magazine, which was kind of openly calling for armed resistance and leaderless resistance and terrorism and everything. No one ever, you know, no one ever got done for these for these things.
0: Um, um, just downloaded a bomb manual from an insect cafe. Totally,
1: to totally, totally, And, you know, so, I mean, I think that, you know, the kind of, you know, the warning signs had been there for many, many years, and it's, like, cause and effect. And we're still arguing this now, that, you know, the people who write the propaganda might not be the ones who carry out the bombings, but somewhere down the line, someone's going to get inspired fr- by it. And, um, you know, it, it, if, if some of this stuff had come out from you know, an Islamist group or whatever, you imagine the police would have cracked down straight away. So I think that that's been some real problems. Yeah, you know, the fact that the police did not know David Copeland, uh, that despite him being an active member of the BMP for about eighteen months. He was out every weekend, he was out campaigning um every weekend. And then and then also then he became a regional organiser of a group that was openly calling for, for the overthrow of the government and the police still didn't know him then come come back eighteen years, come forward eighteen years, we get national action getting prescribed by the government. great, but at the same time, the police don 't know who 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 the leader of the group is at the time it 's banned. you know when Robbie came forward to give information to the police, most of those people that he named the police had never heard of, and this is the counter terrorism police so you know many of the shortcomings we had twenty years ago are are, are the same shortcomings now. Last year, the police made the big... Or the intelligence services made a big thing about how they'd foiled four attacks in 2017. The majority of those attacks were f- foiled by members of the public, including Robbie, coming forward. You know, so it's kind of, you know, we're still some way to go in terms of the authorities taking this seriously. The, o- the other point I'd like to make is that there are many... You know, whether it's Copeland, whether it's Renshaw, whether it's, you know... Um, uh, whether it's some of the kind of white converts who who go off with kind of ISIS groups or Al Qaeda connected groups, there are many similarities the types of person that get drawn into it. People who are having difficulties in their lives, you know, whether it's through drugs or convictions or through very personal issues. I mean, a couple of a few. Weeks ago, there was a young man called Lewis um, Lewis Ludlow got com- sent to prison for uh, for fifteen years for he was going to p- send a drive a truck into a shop in Oxford Street, full of full of bombs. You know, he started off as 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 a neo-Nazi and then converted and joined Andrew Anjem group. You know, so many there are many vulnerable people out there, and I think that you know one of the things that concerns me now is that we've had many years, particularly the kind of white converts. Who who have all sorts of kind of problems in their own lives, who have a desire for violence, have been drawn towards Islamist groups. I think that's starting to shift now. And I think those sort of people are now being attracted to the far right because in a sense they are they are the kind of new people in town. And and yes, we need to keep an eye on the organizations, the the kind of national actions or whatever, but also the spread, particularly with the kind of you know role of the internet, individuals are kind of self-radicalising at home and and in a way living out their fantasies. And I think we'll see more and more far right terrorism or acts of
0: extreme violence just because you know that's obviously what a lot of people are talking about now. Yeah. I was really struck by something Robbie Mullins said in an interview on Channel Four recently. Uh, he was asked if there were more Jack Renshaws out there, and he said that he absolutely thought there there were. Uh, he, he he put the number at fifty. Um but like you say, some of those people will be involved in groups like the Sonnenkrieg uh division and, and other offshoots from from national action. Others will be more like the Darren Osborne who self-radicalises at home. Um it's it's twenty years since uh uh the, the Copeland bombings. Um Nick's book, Mr. Evil, is, is still available and is a is a really, really good read about uh, everything that happened at the time. Uh, We're also publishing an article about Um, uh, the bombings in the next edition of the hope not hate magazine Uh, in the meantime thank you nick for joining us and thank you uh, for listening thank you especially to members of the hope action fund uh, who uh, donate uh, monthly small amounts to help power our intelligence and research work if you haven't already please subscribe to get every edition of the hope not hate podcast free direct to your device on whichever podcast platform you listen to thanks again